Wouldn't that make a difference in our relationships? That's why we're starting this uh, series called One Another. Over 50 times in the Bible we're told to love one another, encourage one another, bear with one another, uh, support one another, give each other strength, confess to each other. And so those are the kinds of things we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks, is what does it mean to be in now, how many of you appreciate Andrew at our church? Anybody appreciate Andrew? He's a, um, what you might not realize is that Andrew is dating somebody today. And uh, and uh, he's a little shy when it comes to relationships. He's also, he very much also loves the Lord. He wants to do everything right. And I don't know if his story is true, but I understand that he wanted desperately to kiss his new girlfriend. But he has a sensitive conscience, and uh, it wouldn't permit him to succumb to his desires. So... Every time they went on a date, he would walk her to the door, look at her longingly, and just take her hand. And he searched the scriptures. He's like, i got to find some biblical reference to be able to kiss my girlfriend. And he was delighted when he found a verse in Romans that says, greet one another with a holy kiss. He's like, this is awesome. And so he, now he could do it in good conscience, and but he didn't want to misinterpret scripture. And so... Uh, he went to Josh to ask for some theological advice, and Josh let him know that that scripture is actually in regards to a church context, and it really doesn't apply to a dating situation at all. And Andrew was so disappointed. He wanted to be sure from the Bible he was doing the right thing. And so, true to his conscience, he walked through the door, looked at her longingly, and then just thrust out his hand. She grabbed him by the collar, backed him up against the wall, and planted a huge kiss on him that landed about 10 seconds. He came up sputtering for air and said, where is that in the Bible? Where is that in the Bible? And she grabbed him to kiss him again and said, Luke 6.31, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So y'all can uh, be happy that you have a nice, moral, uh, good student pastor who likes to also be loved. I, believe it or not, the Bible, I don't know if that story is true, by the way, but, uh, but somebody told me that. Now, the Bible, it has a lot to say about relationships and about loving one another. It has a lot to say about how we relate to one another. There's so many in the Bible where we find uh, just words of encouragement for one another. And we, we do learn words like submit to one another, love one another, another, forgive one another, confess to one another. And so we're going to have this summer series. We're just going to, and it kind of seems chaotic relationally right now. We're going to focus in on what does it mean in Christ's family especially, but then outside of these walls as well, to take care of each other. The single most is that word love. In fact, the Bible says in 1 let love be your greatest aim. It is the single greatest value to God. Love is the primary measuring on which your life will be measured. Love is the core of meaningful relationships. It is of growing and flourishing relationships. Let love be your greatest. You can miss a whole lot of things in this, guys, but don't miss this one. And so what we're going to do is walk through 1 Corinthians 13. It is, it's really the love chapter of the Bible. It's a lot at West. One, also, gift of prophecy. And if I can fathom all mercies, and if I have faith that can move mountains, and if I give all that I to the poor, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Pastor Mike Grow paraphrases those verses. If I have the speaking abilities to mesmerize thousands, if I can speak fluently 20 foreign languages, if I graduate if I have so many degrees beyond my name it looks like a thermometer, if I write the final word on self-sacrifice, if I give to advance worthy causes and I care for the poor, if I give my money to build church buildings and children, even if I give my life the gospel, but if I fail to live and walk and talk and worship and be motivated by then you can talk just miss the mark. You can talk up a bunch of zeros on the scoreboard of life because the greatest aim of life has been missed. Love one another. In other words, how successful you are in this world, if you don't have love, you have missed the mark. You might be theologically correct, but you might have the wrong attitude. And the Bible says, then it doesn't count. It's meaningless. So today, we're going to talk about love just a little while, and I'm going to 
think it's good for fathers to be reminded of this and also for mothers and also for kids to talk about how we relate to each other. The first thing is love is a matter of choice. And that's different from the world's view of love. A lot of people in the world say love is a feeling. It's something that you feel. You can, and it's something you fall into. It's like you fall off of a wagon. You know, you can either fall in or fall out. And uh, even our songs say that. Elvis Presley saying, I can't help falling in love with you. The Righteous Brothers saying, we've lost that loving feeling. Bring back that loving feeling. Now it's gone, gone, gone. Whoa, oh, oh. It's gone. Don't know what happened. I thought I had it. It's gone. And the worst one is by the Doors who's saying, hello, I love you. Won't you tell me your name? I mean, they didn't even know, his, didn't even know her name. Still loved her. And, and, and this is the world's understanding of love. It's an emotion. It comes and it goes. One day it's there, one day it's not. I have young couples that will come and talk to me about their feelings for each other. And I'll ask them, how do you know you love each other? And they'll say things like, I just feel so good when I'm with her or him, or I'm concerned about him uh, when I'm concerned about them when they say that. They say, well, I just feel pretty good. And sometimes when we marriage counsel people, I'll ask them that question. I'll say, well, in your relationship with each other, what has happened? And they'll say, I just don't feel in love with them anymore. And guys, you know this. Our feelings change. That's why love has to be more than a feeling. And if all of us are honest, we're going to say there are times where we don't feel like loving our kids someday. Or we don't feel like loving our spouse someday. So love is not a feeling. It's a choice. Colossians 3.14, over all these virtues, put on love. It's like putting on a pair of clothes. You want to put on your clothes, and, and it's a commitment. You say, I'm, gonna, I'm in this. It's a choice that I'm making. And the truth is that acting in love, choosing to act in love, when you don't feel like it, that's real love. When I don't really feel like loving my kids, that's when love really matters. And, and so love is something that you make a choice to do. Real love is getting up at night when the kids are sick, even when you don't feel like it. Real love gives second chances, even when they're not deserved. Real love goes the extra mile, even when you think you've hit the wall in a relationship with somebody. Real love doesn't hesitate to tenderly meet the need of somebody, even though it's going to interrupt your busy schedule. Real love makes a tough decision, even though it might not be popular, but it's best in the best interest of the other person. Real love smiles through the tears as you watch a loved one deal with Alzheimer's. Real love opens the door to a repentant prodigal teenager and says, welcome home. Real love leaves the riches of heaven and lays down in a smelly animal trough. Real love picks up a cross and walks up a hill and takes the nails, even though he's innocent, to assume the guilt. Real love is a choice. And we know from the scripture, because the night before Jesus died, he didn't feel like going through it. He said, Father, if, if it's your, you know, if, if you'll allow it, would you allow this cup to pass from me? But not my will, your will be done. And so love is not always butterflies in your stomach. Love is not always um, a feeling. It's, it's a sacrifice. You may not always feel like doing the right thing. So love is a choice. Secondly, love is a matter of conduct. Love is not just a matter of choice. It's a matter of our action. John 3.18 says, don't let love in word and tongue, but love in your deeds, love in action and in truth. Love is not just something you talk about. It's something you do. And that's really where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? I heard about a little league coach who said to a kid, hey, you know the rules of the game, don't you? And the kid said, yeah, sure, coach. You know you're not supposed to yell and get upset and cuss at the umps if they make a bad call? Yeah, coach. You know you're not supposed to throw your equipment and other stuff onto the field? Yeah, coach. You know good sportsmanship, right? Yeah. Why? He said, good. Get up in the stands and explain it to your mother. Why? Man, our conduct is shown, isn't it? I mean, through how we act, how we respond, how we serve, how we don't. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us how love acts. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. 
become familiar with this passage, friends, because today we're going to walk through that section. And you're going to put your own self into those words. What is love? It's patience. That means sometimes in other person's actions, though they may disappoint me, and though they may frustrate me, I have to be patient with them. I want to demonstrate my care for them by giving them my time, maybe space when it's needed. Love is patient. God is saying you ought to uh, be willing to pause long enough to not just react, but to act patiently toward another person. We've all been there as parents, haven't we? Those moments where our kids test our patience. Talked to a, we were in uh, North Carolina this week interviewing an administrator for our family home. My grandparents started in the 1960s, and, and uh, we interviewed uh, this lady, and I prayed after it was over. She seemed like the right fit, and she said, I'm so glad you didn't pray for patience, because right now, <laughs> that's, that's really going to test me, you know. In other words, if we pray for patience, God's going to give it to you. He's going to give you a circumstance. And so we've been there. Remember Calvin and Hobbes, the cartoon strip? Maybe you've read those guys. The scene is in the first box of the cartoon. His mom is laying in bed. It's pitch black, obviously the middle of the night. And and uh, says, Mom, wake up. Come quick. It's Calvin calling for her. She sits up, kind of mumbles. What's wrong? What's, what's, the, what's the matter? Come here, he says. So the next scene is her standing in the bedroom with him, saying this. Do you think love is nothing but a biochemical reaction designed to make sure our genes get passed on? That's what the kid asked. His mom, the next scene, looks at him and says, whatever it is, it's the only thing that's keeping me from killing you right now. We've been there. I mean, love is patient. Love is kind. Love cares. Love is seen in the little acts of kindness that you do, whether it be in your marriage or with your kids or your parents, or you work with somebody at, at work. Love is kind. It shows care to another person. It says, I care regardless what you've done. I'm going to show care. That's what love does. This uh, week, like I said, we flew to North Carolina. We spent a couple days. And, and uh, I have lived near the nursing home most of my life. When I was a kid, we grew up. We lived right next door to the nursing home my grandparents started. But, and I would walk through the halls and say hello to people and all that kind of stuff. But this week, I decided I would kind of get my hands dirty there a bit and, and uh we did chair yoga with uh with the seniors in the uh in the home that was fun one of them we did amazing grace they did these beautiful motions you know one of them we did not too ironically staying alive staying alive right they did staying alive chair yoga they had so much fun moving around and you just got to see people but what i was impressed with were the workers who work with those individuals every single day day after day after day, changing their bed, moving them, helping them get up, walking them in so they could do chair yoga, a sacrifice of love. Love is kind. It looks beyond your own needs. It looks to someone else. Love in verse 4 says, it is not envy or boast. It is not proud. In other words, love is trusting. It doesn't look at somebody else's kids and say, boy, I wish my kid was like that. It doesn't look at somebody else's spouse and say, if only I could have married them instead. It doesn't look at somebody else's family and say, if we only had what they had. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. And it's not rude. Love doesn't say hurtful things. It, treads, it treats others with respect. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not concerned with... Um, with your own needs first, it's concerned with the other person's needs first. Love is not self-seeking, and that's the exact opposite of our society. We live in a self-service society where the general idea is get it for yourself. Do what's best for you. Real love seeks to serve. Dr. E.B. Hill was the well-known pastor uh, in, at Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in inner city Los Angeles. He was a giant man uh, of the faith. He always called it the way he saw it. He wasn't afraid to speak about injustice, to lay it on the line, and as a result, a lot of times his life was threatened. A number of years ago, he received a bomb threat uh, by uh, somebody, buddy, and they, they just simply said, we were going to plant a bomb, you're dying this week. And so he decided that he would walk to work back and forth because he didn't want to take his car because he didn't know where they would plant it or when they would plant it. He 
came home one day, his car was gone. And he thought, they've taken my car, they put a bomb in it. About 15 minutes later, his wife drove around the corner and parked the car. She got out of the car and he said, woman, don't you know they intend to take my life with a bomb threat? She said, yes. And I decided if they were going to plant a, a bomb, that this community, community needed you more than it needed me. So I decided to start your car. He said, you know, I always knew that you loved me. And now I really understood the meaning of sacrifice. You cannot love without sacrifice. In verse 5, the scripture says, love is not easily angered. When you fly off the handle, lose your cool, then you're not being loving. Love keeps no record of wrongs. That means love forgives. Love is quick to forgive. It doesn't keep bringing up the past all the time. It doesn't pass it on in an argument. Say things that happened 10 years ago. It doesn't hold grudges. The scripture says love always protects as well. Even when I may feel like hurting or abandoning you. If someone does that, they're not being loving. It always trusts. Even when I doubt, it always trusts. It always hopes. Even when I feel like there is no future, love hopes. It always perseveres. Even when every bone in my body says run, it perseveres. Do we demonstrate our love in those practical ways? It's not rocket science. It's just simply following the words of Scripture. It's just simply following the words that God would teach us on how to relate to each other. And maybe some of you today need a little work on this area of love in your life. It's easy to say, I love my family, but when you actually walk through what the Bible says about it, then you find yourself going, maybe I'm pretty good on some of these, and maybe some others I need some work. Love is a matter of choice. Love is a matter of conduct. And finally, love is a matter of commitment. The end of 1 Corinthians 13 says, love never fails. It never fails. It hangs on. It never quits. It's committed. It's loyal. True love believes in lost causes because God does miracles. There's no such thing as love without commitment. Real love is commitment, loyal, persistent. There is no love without commitment. Commitment is a lost value today. We don't like it. We're afraid of it. I don't want to commit to anything, any person, any program, any career, any relationship, any church. I'm afraid of commitment. That's why it is so popular today to live with somebody rather than being married. It's popular to cohabitate rather than get married. They say, let's just live together. We'll try it out. That's not commitment. That's affection. Love commits. Love is never afraid to make a commitment because the Bible says there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fears. So if I'm afraid to make a commitment to you, that means I don't really love you. I might have affection for you. I might care about you. But real love commits. Commitment means you stay in this thing for the long haul. You work through the struggles and the difficulties. I read this story about Dr. Henry Nauer. Dr. Nauer left a prestigious position at the faculty of Harvard to spend his life taking care of a young man named Adam. Listen to how he describes Adam. Adam is a 25-year-old man who cannot speak, cannot dress or undress himself, cannot walk alone, cannot eat except with much help, does not cry, and does not laugh. Only occasionally does he make eye contact. His back is distorted. His arm and leg movements are twisted. He suffers from severe epilepsy, and despite heavy medication, sees few days without grand mal seizures. Sometimes he grows suddenly rigid and utters a howling groan. On a few occasions, I've seen one big tear roll down his cheek. It takes me about an hour and a half to wake Adam and give him his medication, carry him to his bath, wash him, shave him clean his teeth, dress him, walk him to the kitchen, give him his breakfast, put him in his wheelchair, and bring him to the place where he spends most of his day with therapeutic exercises. And you know what? I am not giving up anything. It is I, not Adam, who gets the main benefit from our friendship. Adam has taught me what, that, what it means to make us human. It's not our mind, but our heart. It's not our ability to think, but our ability to love. That's a powerful testimony, because most of us struggle even with healthy children, healthy families, to be patient and kind and generous. Now, here's what I want to do for just a couple of moments. I want to walk back through this list, and I want you to insert your name. And as we go through the list, I want you to think about you. Where are you on this list? And as you think about it, just do your own little simple evaluation. How am I doing on, for example, Stephen 
faithful. Okay? So I'm going to walk back through the list, and you, uh, you evaluate yourself. And if there's a couple that come out as things you need to work on, then this will be your homework assignment for later. All right? First of all, put your name in. Is patient. Think about it. Is kind. Does not envy. So you just say your name. Stephen does not envy. Does not boast. Is not proud. Is not rude. Maybe there's some some sorrows that need to be shared. Is not selfish. Is not easily angered. Keeps no record of wrong. Does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Say your name. Always protect. Always trust. Always hope. Always persevere. Now here's one other thing I want to do. Now that we've kind of thought about our own work and who we are, I want you just to kind of think about this for a moment as you close your eyes. And let's think about our model of love. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus is not rude. Jesus is not selfish. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrong. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. Jesus always protects. Jesus always trusts. Jesus always hopes. Jesus always perseveres. Jesus is love. But when you evaluate yourself to that biblical standard, there is no rocket science here to relationships. When he says love one another, when he says love one another, we look at 1 Corinthians 13 and think about our own life. And we ask the question, are we like Christ? The Bible says God is love. And when you say God is patient, God is kind, God does not envy, you have to ask yourself, am I those things? Do I do those things? Or is there some area in your life today as a dad or as a parent, as a mom, or as a spouse, or as maybe a child, or as a friend, where you could look at this list and say, there's some work that has to be done here. So your homework this week is, you take 1 Corinthians 13, and you read through that this week. You read through that. Read through those characteristics. And you see where you are in comparison to those things. And if you've got some apologies that need to happen, make them happen. If you've got some work to be done, pray that God will give you the strength. If you need to be more patient, don't keep that record wrong. Flesh that thing. Protect those you love. Be a trustworthy person. Put hope, uh, be a hopeful person. Be persevering. Be patient. Be kind. So you do that, and I'm going to pray that God would give you strength as you do it. God, today I just pray that as we encounter people, God, as we think about all the things that are going on in this world, we can't, we can't change everything. But we can change us through your power. We can change how we treat other people. We can change how we react to other people. We can change our mentality, God, through your power. We can, we can change how we love our family. We can change how we love our friends. We can change how we love strangers. God, we can change how we love those across some divide, whether it be racial or economic or, or social, God. There, there are ways that one life at a time that we can revolve the world around Jesus. And so, God, give us that strength today. Give us that ability to love other people, even above ourselves. To love our neighbor. To love God. Help us to do that, God, we pray in the name of Jesus.
mention before you guys head out today. One, we have uh, Backlot Bash uh, next week. So I want to encourage you guys. This is kind of our form of doing a church picnic together. You can bring your chairs. You can spread out as much as you want to out in the back lot. We're going to have a food truck, some Mexican food. So it's going to be a good time. Make sure that you're part of that. Also, um, here in just a minute, I'm just going to give you some instruction on something that you uh, may choose to participate in. You know, one of the ways that we demonstrate a love around here is like, you know, normally somebody turns 50, you get them a cake and like, you know, give them a hug and say some encouraging words. Our method is more to like roast the person that turns 50, apparently embarrassment and uh, and, and that kind of thing and, and punishment seems to be the route of infection around here. Uh, so we let everybody in Mason know that uh, Stephen was turning 50, which is like, don't ever put a sign out there with my face on it ever again. And uh, But it was awesome. And I was hoping that people would just be like honking the whole the whole time he was teaching because uh, there is a, you know, honk. Uh, but also one of the things I want to encourage you guys is Stephen's favorite drink is ginger ale. We got some ginger ale for you on the way out. And if you just want to, we're going to do after second hour, we're going to gather some people just to, to toast Stephen. If you're not able to come back for that, uh, I'd love to video a quick toast. It'd be like 15 seconds long. Just some things you just, hey, want to want to only turned 51, so, you know, I know that he wouldn't want uh, to, to be the center of attention here, but uh, you only turned 51, so um, we're going to do that right outside this door. I got some cold ginger ale out there if you'd like to take one of those with you as well, and, uh, and toast Stephen. I'll get that on camera if you're not able to come back later. Well, hey, have a great week, and uh, we'll see you guys next week, and we'll have a great Backlot Bash.